0: I read verses 4 through 8 and 25 through 40. I invite you to follow along in your Bible or in the Pew Bible, which can be found on page 842 and 43. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 8 and 25 through 40. Now, those who were scattered went from place to place proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip hearing and seeing the sign that he did for unclean spirits crying with loud shrieks came out of many who were possessed and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured so there was great joy in that city now after peter and john testified and had spoken the word of the lord they returned to jerusalem proclaiming the good news to many villages of the samaritans then an angel of the lord said to philip get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to his chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The eunuch replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb he was silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth the eunuch asked philip about whom may i ask does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else then philip began to speak and starting with this scripture he proclaimed to him the good news about jesus as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said look here's water what is to prevent me from being baptized he commanded the chariot to stop and both of them philip and the eunuch went down into the water and philip baptized him when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is common among United Methodist churches in the southeastern United States to raise money by making and selling food. In North Carolina, the tradition is Brunswick stew. In South Carolina and Florida, it's a low country boil. And in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, it's chicken barbecue. In my previous appointment at Bethany, about three times a year, we would grill chicken and then sell it. In order to raise money for missions. And it happened on Saturday morning, beginning around five o'clock, which is a perverse hour to be up on a weekend. And yet, when I arrived at five o'clock, at the appointed hour, there was always the good natured heckling of those guys who were already there Pastor, where have you been all morning? You're late. You're late. And so we took the chicken halves out of the boxes filled with ice and we put them on racks always seven rows and five chickens to a row. And then we laid them over the pits where they would cook over charcoal, low and slow until they were crispy and juicy and delicious. And then we marinated the chicken and wrapped it and took it by the cooler full over to the bank parking lot to sell to the good people of Weir's Cave. And God bless these United Methodists. While they were selling the chicken, they even invited people to come to church. Can you believe that? A Methodist who invited someone to come to church. It does happen. So one month we were out there at the bank parking lot selling chicken, talking to our neighbors, inviting them to come worship with us. And just like you might expect, some people politely declined. Some people made a a half-hearted commitment to come the following Sunday. But there was one man who surprised us. We invited him to church, but he shook his head. And he refused the invitation altogether. He very clearly said, no, I'm not coming. So we didn't push the issue. We just thanked him, said, thanks for coming to buy the chicken. Thanks for supporting our Bethany missions. Have a good day. And the man walked back to his truck across the parking lot. And as he climbed in, he turned back to us and he called out and said, I'm too bad of a person. You wouldn't want me anyway there are perhaps few ways that a stranger can break your heart but this is one this is one the man considered himself too bad too unlovable too far gone to be welcomed into the church of Jesus Christ by now we've heard that God's kingdom is full of paradox the last shall be first it is in giving that we receive freedom comes through obedience Let's add one more to the list. Jesus loves the worst sinners most of all. Jesus loves the worst sinners most of all. Now maybe that man would not have believed it, but it's true. Jesus loves the worst sinners most of all. He doesn't love the sin, of course, but the people who are farthest away from God are the ones Jesus loves the most. And why? Because they need it the most perhaps this is what Jesus meant when he said blessed are the poor in spirit and I think we already have some understanding that Jesus takes extra special care of those who are on the margins of society of those who are on the outside and surely he invites us to do the same when he says whatever you do for the least of these you do also for me but for many of us it is a revelation when we begin to see that Jesus doesn't just love the least. He loves to be with them. He wants to be their friend. Just read the Gospels. You will see in short order that the kind of people that Jesus keeps in his company are not the kind of people who usually get invited to dinner parties. Tax collectors, prostitutes, poor people, children. These are the friends of Jesus. Now, whether this is good news or whether this is hard news, depends on who you are. When we look around at our church and we see mostly people like us, who are mostly white and mostly middle class, it is easy to forget that the friends of Jesus include all kinds of different people, especially those who are rejected by everyone else. And it's for this reason that Jesus was accused of being a terrible rabbi There's no way this guy could be the Messiah. Just look at the company he keeps. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And what the Pharisees considered a personality flaw, Jesus considered a matter of pride and of the character of God. Jesus Christ, friend of sinners. This morning we read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch Who was this man exactly? Well, according to Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he was a court official. He was a a high-level administrator in the Queen's Court, and he was in charge of the treasury. He was in charge of the money. But even though this was a man of high social status, to the religious faithful, he was geographically and anatomically an outsider. He was an outsider. The man was from Ethiopia, first of all, which is not the same country that we now know. Back then, it was the area of Nubia, bordering the Nile River, which is south of Egypt and probably closer to what is modern-day Sudan. And the exact location is less important than the point of its inclusion in the story, which is to say this, it was far away. To say he was from Ethiopia meant he was from the edge of the known world, far away from Jerusalem, far away from the religious elite and the insiders who were part of the established religious community, far away from where God's people lived. In other words, this Ethiopian was an outsider. But not by geography only. The Ethiopian eunuch was an outsider by anatomy as well. You probably know the term eunuch means a castrated male. And in that day, most court officials in Ethiopia would have been castrated and possibly even dismembered. So why do we point a gruesome reality? Because according to Jewish law, this disqualified him from membership in the Jewish community. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 clearly states that such men shall not be allowed in the assembly of the Lord. After all, Jew, Jewish membership is by... Circumcision, right? And since circumcision was not an option for this Ethiopian, there was no way for him to come in to the community of the faith. And so, on top of being an outsider by geography and by anatomy, he was a spiritual outsider. He was kept outside of the community of faith. Most of us know what it's like to be an outsider, right? To be excluded from a group of people who you thought were your friends to be turned down for a job, to be the last one picked for the kickball team, to be shut out by a family member, to be rejected, to be left on the outside looking in, to feel like no one wants you. Most of us know what it's like to be an outsider, and we know the pain that comes with it. Some of our most profound human hurt comes from our sense of disconnection one another when we are rejected or left out or disowned but then then there comes a day and what a day of rejoicing it is for some of us it happened a long time ago for others of us it hasn't happened yet perhaps there is the day when we realize that we we are invited inside when we are welcomed When we are included, when everyone else in the world has shut us out, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ invites us in to the community of faith that we call church. And we realize that Jesus loves us as he says to us, My child, come in. Come in. You are welcome here. Come in and join my family and receive all the good things that I have for you. You don't have to stand on the sidelines anymore. What a day of rejoicing that is for us. This is the same invitation that was issued to the outsider from Ethiopia. He was on his way home when he encountered the apostle Philip. And so Philip jumped in the chariot with the man, and together as they traveled down the road, they read from the Holy Scriptures. They read from the book of Isaiah. They they talked about what the Scriptures said together. And beginning with the words of the prophet, the story says, Philip shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting to note that the eunuch was not a stranger to religion. He believed in God. The story says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was on his way home and he was reading the Hebrew Scriptures. But the eunuch knew that that was as far as it could go. He would never be considered one of the faithful. He would never be invited into the temple. He would never be included on the inside. He would forever be an outsider or so he thought so imagine his wonderful shock when he began to realize wait do you mean me you mean me you mean because of Jesus I can be welcomed I can be part of the community of faith that my faith is not in vain that I can be welcomed? then what prevents me he said from being baptized what prevents me from being baptized what a great question Unlike circumcision, which was only for males and, for that matter, for non-eunuchs, baptism is for everyone. Baptism is for everyone. What prevents him from being baptized? Nothing. Not geography. Not anatomy. Not the color of his skin. Not the language that he sp- he spoke. Not the amount of money in his bank account. Not the record of his sin. The grace of Jesus Christ overcomes all of these things. It transcends the human categories with which we categorize one another. It bridges the gap from outside to inside. It welcomes us into the community of the church and marks us as God's children, as those who have received the gift of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. My friends, we would do well this morning to acknowledge and confess that for far too long the church of Jesus Christ has been too concerned with who's in and who's out. As if we get to decide. I'm thankful that our Lord has relieved us of the burden of deciding who is in and who is out. And instead commanded us to welcome all people in His name. And why? Why? Because these are the friends of Jesus. The people on the margins. They're the friends of Jesus. The sick and the dying. These are the friends of Jesus. Prisoners are the friends of Jesus. People who are poor. People who are hungry. People who suffer. These are the friends of Jesus. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite teachers was Dr. Peter Story. Dr. Story is formerly the bishop of the Methodist Church of South Africa, and he was a leader in his country for the church and for his fellow citizens during the anti-apartheid movement through the 80s and 90s. You may know that apartheid was a system of government in that country that kept people apart. Black people and white people had kept them separate with favoritism for whites and mistreatment for blacks. And as the leader of a mostly white church, Dr. Story saw up close and personal the hypocrisy of his own church, of his fellow white Christians, who professed a belief in Jesus Christ with their mouth, but they refused to welcome their black brothers and sisters. And so Dr. Story has very strong words for the evangelical church He said, you talk about the importance of inviting Jesus into your heart. And that is good. And that is important. And you need to do it. But you cannot ask Jesus into your heart alone. Because when you invite Him into your heart, He will ask you a question. He will ask you, can I bring my friends? And you will hesitate. Because you'll look at His friends, and you will see that the friends of Jesus are hungry people and prisoners and Latino immigrants and yet Jesus is clear I can come into your heart only only if I can bring my friends Tony Campolo is a famous preacher who spent his life trying to persuade the church of this very thing that evangelism and social justice go together that faith and works go together, that what we say we believe must always be lived out in our lives as we go from this place each week. And one time Tony Campolo went to Hawaii to speak at a conference, and he tells the story like this. I was in Honolulu for the conference, and because I'm from the East Coast, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning, Hawaii time, and I was hungry. And so I went looking for something to eat, and up one side street and down another, I found this little greasy spoon. I went in, there were no booths, just a row of stools in front of the counter, and so I sat down. There was nobody else in the place. I didn't touch the menu. It was one of those plastic menus, you know, that where the grease builds up on it from years and years of use. And he said, I was afraid that if I opened it, something gruesome would crawl out. The fat guy with a greasy apron behind the counter, unshaved, cigar hanging out of his mouth, he comes out, he puts down his cigar, and he says, What do you want? I said, A cup of coffee and a donut. He poured the coffee, and then he wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and then with his bare hand, he picked up the donut and put it on a plate. Come on, big guy, couldn't you use the tongs? So I'm sitting there, 3.30 in the morning, munching on my dirty donut, when into this place come about 10 or 11 prostitutes. And they sat on either side of me. It was a small place. I tried to disappear. The one next to me, she was especially boisterous. She said to her friend, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend said, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get a cake and some candles and sing you happy birthday? The first woman said, Come on. I don't want anything. I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to hurt my feelings? And then she added, I've never had a birthday party my whole life. I don't expect to have one now. Well, that did it. After the women left, I called over the guy behind the counter. His name was Harry. I said, Harry, do they come in here every night? He said, Yeah. The one right next to me. He said, Agnes. I said, Harry, it's Agnes' birthday tomorrow. What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for Agnes right here tomorrow night? And he grabbed my hand and he squeezed it and a smile came across his face. That's great, he said. That's great. That's a great idea. And he called to his wife who was in the back and shouted, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. It's Agnes' birthday and he wants to have a party for her. And the woman comes out and she says, Oh, mister, that's brilliant. That is a great idea. Nobody ever does anything nice for Agnes. And you know, she's one of the good ones. I know what she does for a living, but I tell you, she's one of the good ones. Look, I said, if it's okay with you, I'll come back here tomorrow night and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. Oh, no, Harry said. The birthday cake is my thing. Well, at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper and decorated the place, and I hung a big sign on the mirror in the back that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I had the place looking good. Well, the woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15 that morning, every single prostitute in Honolulu was squeezed into this tiny little diner. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me, Tony says. 3.30 in the morning, in comes Agnes and her friends. I had everybody ready. We were all set. And when they came in, we all yelled, Happy birthday, Agnes! And we started cheering like mad. I've never seen anyone so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her knees buckled. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. They led her to one of the stools right there in front of the counter and we all sang happy birthday dear agnes happy birthday to you and when they brought out the cake with the candles in it that was it she started to cry harry just stood there with the cake come on agnes knock it off come on blow out the candles but she couldn't do it and so harry blew out the candles for her and then he handed her a knife and he said now cut the cake agnes yo agnes come on we all want some cake And She sat there for a long moment, and then Tony says she turned to me and said, Mr., I don't really want to cut the cake. Is it all right if I don't cut the cake? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? And I said, sure, it's okay. It's your cake. You can do whatever you want to. Agnes said, I want to take it home. I want to show it to my mother. She lives just two doors down. I'll be right back, I promise. So she took the cake in her hands and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, she walked out the door of that diner. And when she left, the room was dead silent. It was an awkward silence. Tony says, I I didn't know what else to do, and so I said, how about if we pray? So I prayed. I prayed that God would deliver Agnes from what the filthy men had done to her. I prayed that God would make her new Because we are here to declare the good news that no matter what you've done or where you've been or who you are, Jesus Christ can make you new again. And when I finished praying, Harry leaned over the counter and in a loud whisper, he said, hey, you never told me you were no preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? And Tony said, in one of those moments when God gave me just the right words, I said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't. There's no such thing. If there were, I'd join a church like that. Maybe we could be a church like that.